Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you on a journey into the crucible for a weekly or fortnightly, that's every other week, fellow USA people, celebration of all things Keyforge, its community, and the excitement of Discovery. I am Zach Armstrong, uh, unfortunately not joined by Ed Pocock today, uh, but he will be back along in just a few episodes. So don't you worry, dear listener, he is still kicking. Although I've never seen him in person, I am led to believe he does exist and that he will be back. today. I have the pleasure of being joined uh, by a very special guest to talk about Rise of the Keyraken. If you watch Keyforge streams, you will definitely know his name, or if you're on Keyforge Twitter, you will, and if you don't, you're in for a treat. We are joined today by Mordivus. How are you? I am doing just lovely, and I have to say, I'm I'm supporting the podcast right now. I know you you dear listeners won't be able to see this, mm-hmm. but I'm wearing an absolutely comfortable Call of Discovery hoodie, and I do recommend you ch- you check it out if uh, if you're you're so inclined to wear something that's both comfortable and fashionable. Mm-hmm. And it helps uh, if you're just a bit sick in the head for Keyforge like me. It helps with telling people about the game randomly in public. Uh, you know, because what's your shirt? Oh, well, it's this podcast. It's this podcast. The British guy is nice. The other one, eh, he's, I can leave him, you know, take him. <laughs> You're too hard uh, on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I do like to be self-deprecating. Um, what's not self-deprecating, though, is that uh, I do have to commend Mortivus that that is the first Call of Discovery hoodie purchased by a non-host. Ed and I are the only two Call of Discovery hoodie owners before uh, Mortivus uh, picked one up. So if you want to be number two, number three or number four, uh, go for it. Go it's, for it's, it. Or it's an two. exclusive club at this point. Where it, you, uh... it really is. It it really <laughs> is. It should do something special for <laughs> the small pool of hoodie wearers. Uh, yeah, certainly. Um, anyways, if that does interest you, uh, listener, we will have our merch link in the description, which is something I think we stopped talking about probably 60 episodes ago, 40 episodes ago. <laughs> I think we uh, fell out of the show notes at some point anyways, or out of the mentions. Well, I'm happy to bring it back because oh, uh, totally worth it. Totally worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is cozy. I do. I do like to wear mine quite a bit. Uh, so as you know, listener, uh, we do have our topic today. Rise of the Key Rake and the first Keyforge adventure came out a few months ago via print and play. Uh, the FFG team, uh, Tyler talked about this when he was on just a few episodes ago. Uh, They had this idea, then the pandemic hit, and they said, yo, we need to fast track this project so we can get it out in print and play. It would add another six to nine months minimum to actually print the thing. So let's get it out for print and play. And uh, people have been playing it on Tabletop Simulator and in real life. 
and uh, Mortivus, as well as myself, have both gotten a couple plays in. So we're going to interview Mortivus about his experience with Rise of the Key Raken, the cooperative or solo Keyforge mode where you take out the Key Raken before it gets to the surface. Uh, but first, of course, we like to get to know our guests a little bit better. So, oh, <laughs> oh dear. Here comes the hard-hitting journalism coming at you. Hardball with Zach Armstrong. Uh, so, Mortivus, what was your introduction to Keyforge? How did you get into the weird and wonderful world of the Crucible? Well, uh, if I'm if I'm being honest, uh, it was by pure chance, pure happenstance, oh, if you will. Wow. Um, I uh, played uh, a, a, another dueling card game, if you will, uh, Magic the Gathering, uh, many, many years ago. And so it would have been when I was in uh, middle school. Uh, I, don't, I don't even think I played it in high school, but very much, you know, I think Richard Richard Garfield called it the uh, the kitchen table type stuff, you know, just yeah. just amongst friends. We had very wacky decks and stuff, and I enjoyed that. But eventually, kind of kind of got out of that and um, never never really got established in any sort of official capacity, like uh, with a like a local game store or anything like that. Um, so uh, all I have to say, uh, I played that in in probably middle school and didn't wasn't really looking for anything like that, uh, and and then. In early 2019, uh, my my wife and I were visiting some friends uh, a couple hours away, uh, and we were uh, walking through kind of this lovely downtown area. And at some point, we stopped by a bookstore. Uh, and uh, in that bookstore, uh, my friend and I were were checking some stuff out. It's one of those like bookstores that just has like a lot more than books. Uh, yeah. If you've ever experienced those, <laughs> but you're like, it's like this. Yeah. Why do they call this a bookstore? There's like. It's the it's the little proprietor owned ones where you can tell all the stock is just whatever the owners are interested in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and that's like exactly how it was. We went down in right. the basement and there's, you know, there they had some board games and stuff and they're sitting on the on the on the table was just one display box of um uh, Coda uh, of <laughs> Keyforge decks and my friend had actually mentioned he he uh, drew my eye to it and mentioned it. Uh, long, long story short, I ended up uh, thinking the idea sounded pretty cool, the unique, unique decks. Uh, and he, uh, well, he didn't, he didn't really have to convince me much. I picked, picked up a couple decks there, um, came home, played, uh, played with my wife. Uh, we used like a phone app to track everything, uh, which was uh, oh, okay, but those, challenging. Like, cru- like Crucibuddy and a few. I still have yeah. at least one on my phone, just in case, you know. <laughs> just in case you really, really need those big ember <laughs> counts, you know. Um, yeah, and so I, I think we, uh, I, I thought the game was pretty cool. Uh, we we played, you know, once or twice, and our, our the two decks we got were not in any way uh, uh, equitable with each other. So oh, sure. we, we kind of put it down for a week or two, and then I, I kind of got back into it and picked up a couple more decks. Um, I think uh, maybe AOA had, had just come out at the time or, or was about to come out. So picked some up there and and then just kind of fell in love with the game, uh, found found TCO and started playing online. Um, I think the the thing that like particularly drew me to it, and I mentioned this a little bit before, was just the unique deck aspect to it and the lack of deck building. Uh, it's not that I don't like deck building. It's just uh, I like for me, Keyforge, uh, a Keyforge deck is like a puzzle. Um, and you know, oh yeah, surely there are there are some decks that are are more fun puzzles to play with than than others. Um, but I like the fact that you're just given a complete 
uh, item and uh, and it's just up to you to figure out how how to make it work um, yeah. and so that was that was really appealing to me i i come uh, very heavily from like a board game background uh, so uh, i play, play a lot of board games so kind of uh, that was uh, a pretty easy entry point and having had some experience with uh, with magic previously in in life it wasn't kind of too difficult for me to pick up the the core mechanics of the game um, yeah but yeah i mean here 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 i am uh decided at some point in the first couple of months that there wasn't enough people making content and uh, at the time <laughs> there never is there never yeah, is there never is at, at, at the time i uh i only had one child uh <laughs> way way long ago <laughs> i only had one child and had a fair amount of free time so i started putting together some content for the game and that's been that's been a lot of fun um and i think in some ways that's kind of kept me invested and interested in playing the game oh of course um, and and a lot of that is just uh being connected into the community um so not not just the creating of the content but like uh you know being being in various discord servers and uh dare i say reddit i guess reddit too um <laughs> there's some there's some good people on reddit Th- there are there's some there good are. people on reddit i know i know blinking lion hangs out there soho Jin uh yeah, is yeah. an absolute <laughs> champion on the subreddit mm-hmm. as well yeah yeah so uh i think that's you know that's that's a, a little bit of my story uh kind of kind of came a little bit from magic the gathering mostly from board games it was not looking for a game to play but found a game and so much more mm. yeah yeah and like you said the decks are puzzles and that that is one of my favorite parts i like to the my cheesy phrase i like to repeat is that for me keyforge is the infinite puzzle even if I only get one deck and I have a, a local guy who's been really getting into the game uh, named John, he purchased one Dark Tidings deck. OK, I opened 14 Dark Tidings decks. No evil twins. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Nothing like I have some cool stuff. I have some stuff I really want to dig into, but nothing. I was like, wow, this is like this is over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, he opens Avacus Altani's evil twin. He opens an evil twin deck with Z-Force agent. Oh. And like an, an altruist rostrum, the artifact that says, you know, uh, action, move an amber from a creature to another creature mm-hmm. with two mm-hmm. capture pips <laughs> so he can play the artifact and then he's set up to use it in the following turns. So he has not bought any other decks. There's literally whatever somebody else is playing. He'll just like, OK, well, I'm going to play Vacus Altani because he is really <laughs> into Vacus Altani's evil twin being his deck and figuring uh-huh. out the infinite puzzle that is every matchup or uh-huh. whatever the draw order is in this game if he's played the matchup before. So, yeah, I think that's what really appeals to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, myself, myself included, though, I can't really stop myself from buying more decks. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, uh, I think that's like totally commendable. And I wish in so many ways that I could do what, do what your <laughs> friend John does and just have like, you right. know, five decks and, and just play those. But... You know, I think there, you know, I, I also have a tendency to uh, like have a short attention span, sure, which is sure. which is why Keyforge is also perfect, because, you know, I can just pick up a different deck, you know, I can be like, oh, all right, well, I played a couple of games with this one uh, that that was fun. But now I want to try something different. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course, every game yeah. of Keyforge with even a single deck is different, but uh, yeah. they certainly feel even more different when you're playing a a deck that just functions differently. Yeah. And I'd say, uh, I'd say that's really true when you're able to 
take ownership of your play experience, which is something that uh, Richard Garfield um, admonished players to do mm-hmm. uh, when we had the honor of interviewing him. Where, because if you're just like grinding a deck for practice or playing, you know, a ton of sealed, like like the guys on TTR, right? Like I could see somebody going, well, some of it doesn't feel that different. And I understood like that's legitimate from that play experience, right? Mm-hmm. But it's all about how do you enjoy the game? Like, yeah, just pick one deck and like play it if you have locals or a friend to play with, you know, diving into that deck. Take notes on it. Narp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, and I think something you said, because you said you came from board games mostly and I have a question about that in a minute. But I also want to shout out, I believe it was a point that uh, Blake uh, Boulevard Blake made on a video a few weeks back or a month back or so about how to get more people into Keyforge is focus on board gamers. Card mm-hmm. gamers will either already have their card game and you're not going to win them over because your locals are too small anyways for them to mm-hmm. really move over and commit. Or it's just not going to be their game because it doesn't have deck building and they haven't really wrapped their head around it. Right. But like go after board gamers. Board gamers are the people who are going to appreciate it. And like you might discover, oh, you know, like a, a lifestyle card game might might actually be a fit for me, even if I'm oh, just yeah. showing up once a week to, to the locals. Yeah, I think that uh, that. <laughs> when Blake said that, I was I was just like, "Oh my gosh, it's so smart! That make that makes perfect sense." Like right? I I'm I'm a perfect <laughs> example of that. Like why has uh-huh. this not occurred to me before? I I think you know the temptation is um you know so many people playing in uh in a game store you always see the other people there you know whether it be Magic Night or whatever whatever game is being played and you're like oh man it'd be cool to like show them the 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 light of keyforge or show them what's great about keyforge right but yeah there's this whole whole market of people like me who just like weren't even looking um, right. but uh yeah weren't even looking but uh you know found something that was really cool which uh, is an interesting um an interesting uh, kind of reason that i think uh, rise of the Kirakin, uh is so so pivotal because yeah. it is such an easy point to get um like a easy pivot point for for players who are maybe more board game inclined because it's it's yes. the, the the concept is simpler. You're like, okay, we're playing a co-op game against this thing. Like, yeah, whatever. We have these decks, but you know, it's a lot. I think a lot more approachable than you're like, let's sit down, and play a game of Keyforge where we're actively kind of butting heads, trying to to uh, defeat each other. Or you know, obviously mm-hmm. it's a race, but you know, we're trying to uh, what we're tr- attempting to do is. Uh, against what the other person is trying to do so uh, yeah i think uh, i think the co-op adventures uh, like rise, rise of the key reckon are going to be really really a great uh, starting point for pretty much uh, anyone who who is a board gamer and might yeah. uh, potentially find some some way to love uh, keyforge uh, i agree completely and have actually used rise of the key reckon for exactly that the aforementioned mm-hmm. uh john pilot uh, pilot to Vakas Altani's evil twin. And if you have Vakas Altani, let us know. I don't think it's registered yet, uh, but it exists. It's in a box. It might be in your friendly local game store. <laughs> but uh, John, we, we played an initial game and um, I always try to take a much weaker deck than the other person. And I play, and I try not to play suboptimally because uh, most people I play against would be like, Oh, come on. you like, you let me win. Um, but uh, so I, I beat him once. He's like, OK, that was fun. And I was like, well, we've got some time. Do you want to try to just beat like the boss, the the key rake? And he's like, yeah, that actually seems fun. So I got out my Dark Tidings decks 
and we played those and he had a blast. And most of what we did whenever we would get together to play Keyforge roughly once a week as uh, pandemic stuff was easing up in our area, uh, we would just play Rise of the Key Raken and it would really help him in a lower pressure situation like just get used to like seeing the cards, reading the cards, mm. all that sort of thing. And to his credit, he learned on Dark Tidings decks and then he bought a Dark Tidings deck <laughs> as his first one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, uh, yeah, I have seen it used to great effect where when you take that pressure off of like win lose against another person, uh, the Rise of the Key Raken has enough similar mechanics to just a regular Keyforge game that it is great for getting somebody used to it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I just thought about this as you were you were mentioning that you know because uh, I, I similar when similarly whenever I would teach the game would kind of bring a very uh, disparate uh, deck power just so I could like <laughs> try and play something interesting and make it right. interesting for myself. But of course, um, it's I think it's really interesting with the the something like the Rise of the Kiraken, like you don't have to do that. You can bring a similar deck, or you could bring you could still bring a lower power deck, but you don't have to kind of uh, you know take off the gas. Uh, you right. can you can kind of show the f- potential, you know, the full breadth of like, oh, wow, the, like what Zach is doing is really cool. Like I can see how he's comboing these things together or, you know, making mm-hmm. the most use of his turns or maybe even something uh, sim- more simple and not more simple, but like um, something like, OK, it was interesting, Zach, you just played this three turns in a row. Uh, like, why why did you do that as opposed to right. play some other house that's in your hand? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, th- I think there's, you know, even even if you're not specifically talking some type of like deep level of strategy, uh, there's some uh, some amount that uh, that watching an experienced player play and that experienced player is actually playing at a at a level, you know, that reflects their experience. Um, yeah. I think that can also be uh uh, helpful to, for someone who's potentially playing uh, as a new player. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. And uh, kind of one last personal question before we um, turn our oh, yeah, rudder. We have those, I guess. My bad. Well, no, <laughs> no, no bad. No bad at all. No bad at all. Uh, I, one one more personal question before we turn the rudder full tilt into uh, the maw of the key rake in itself here. Uh, you've mentioned you were a board gamer before. Have there been kind of in your board game playing history, some co-op games that you have played a lot, enjoyed the depth of, enjoyed the teamwork of um, that you kind of maybe got a got a taste for solo or cooperative play from? Oh, yeah. Um, So I would uh, I play quite a few solo or I should say co-op games um, with my wife. The main reason. Uh, that I play these games with my wife is she totally kicks my butt otherwise. Uh, so if I want to have a chance at winning, I need to play some type of cooperative game. The, the uh-huh. notable exception being Keyforge uh, in yeah. terms of games that that uh, she, my, she versus me wins. When my my sister and brother-in-law are the same way. She she trounces him on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> so so we uh, like a lot of the stuff we we play just kind of on our own when we have free time. Uh, ends up being co-op. So um, actually, one of our favorite games is Hanabi, mm. uh, which is not a, not like a big game or anything. It's just a card game uh, where you, uh, you're trying to play, uh, build these fireworks, assemble these fireworks, and you play cards or discard cards, uh, but you actually can't see your hand. Uh, so there's you basically show your hand to your opponent instead of looking at your own hand. Ah, interesting. Um, 
So that's one. That's one of our favorites. Um, uh, I do have, you know, in the before times, uh, before uh, the pandemic, um, I had a pretty steady playgroup for Gloomhaven. Mm. Uh, so we've actually, I think we put about seventy something, seventy something um, episodes or scenarios in uh, yeah. on the base game. So we finished the base game, and and around the time the pandemic uh, was was starting, we were into the uh, the Forgotten Circles expansion. Um, we haven't, yeah picked back up on that but so quite a bit of gloomhaven um and uh, i i enjoy that you know i think i haven't really met uh, a cooperative game that i haven't enjoyed sure um, because <laughs> it seems like most cooperative games you're trying to do some type of puzzle it's just you know the objectives uh, are different and how you go about trying to solve the puzzle is different so yeah um i i think there's a, a certain part of me that really likes stuff like gloomhaven where you have a, just the, even the the smallest amount of story you know mm. like the smallest mm-hmm. amount of like okay like i don't entirely entirely understand it's not like this really big deep story that all this stuff is happening it's like but it's just enough to kind of like sugarcoat it you're like okay cool like right. we're mercenaries <laughs> we're doing this cool thing <laughs> right uh, and right. but you know uh hanabi has not a, a real very sprang interesting some story on the spring some febreze on the ameritrash <laughs> Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, I, I have played a probably just one scenario of Arkham Horror, uh, the mm. LCG, and yeah, um, and I think we're maybe two or three. Um, I think it's just the same the same uh, boss we've we've played against in the Marvel Champions. Sure. Um, I I was mentioning it to Zach beforehand uh, that Keyforge was actually my my intro. Uh, to ffg i mean i'd heard right. of ffg sure and I'm, sure. I'm sure like yeah. i guess i guess technically i i've played i think ffg published the um uh, battlestar galactica games uh, so like i've played some stuff but it's not like i i ever followed the stuff they were publishing right. um so kind of new to new to like arkham horror and and uh, marvel champions too but um Certainly, uh, all of the, all of them have been fun. I like them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I will be very much giving Arkham Horror a try as my wife and I keep looking for those co op games we really like, and we found a couple, uh, many very uh, cat based themed ones. Oh yeah, uh, there you go. But uh, Arkham Horror uh, has that new starter kit coming out. That's like the kind of revamped card list. The cards are all <laughs> like they haven't eroded the cards or anything. They just are kind of repackaging what cards are in there to make it a better experience for new players. I know oh, yeah. everybody's very excited about that, so I'll probably mm-hmm. be giving that pick up. What one other might finally uh, might finally earn a guest spot on Drawn to the Flame, <laughs> the Arkham Horror podcast. <laughs> we can make it happen. We can make it happen. <laughs> tweet tweet at him, right? Uh, what well, so one other uh, one other one final uh, co op game in you know like I said we we play plenty, uh, but I actually uh, quite enjoy Sentinel, Sentinels of the Multiverse. Um, oh, as another sure. kind of a more short form you know you're not doing a campaign but slightly longer than something like Hanabi but um, yeah kind of a comment kind of similar to uh, uh champions where you're you're trying to defeat uh, a boss and and you've got some uh not customized decks but uh each each hero you're playing plays a little bit differently so that's definitely fun yeah uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse. If you're not familiar, uh, I actually learned about this game just a few weeks ago after we had Mr. Board Gamer BJ on mm. as a guest because he's got several videos on Sentinels to the Multiverse and a great overview video that I watched and really got to have an idea of how the game plays and what it's like. So, uh, yeah, if that interests you, um, especially kind of a its own superhero setting with, uh, you know, just original to them heroes, uh, mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm. check that out. 
So we are here to talk about Rise of the Keyraken, and if you have not played it, uh, like we've been mentioning, it's a cooperative way to play Keyforge, which uh, kind of blows my mind about how well it works. FFG, obviously, with all of these other co-op games, has a great design pedigree for making co-op work really well. And so if you haven't played it, though, what it is is you have the Keyraken as a card on the table. It has 30 health per player, so a minimum of 30 up to 90. I haven't seen people try to play it with four people or more. I suppose you could. Uh, oh, <laughs> you, you have? <laughs> I have. I have, in fact. Wow. And I actually did not realize at the time that you weren't supposed to do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, uh, spoiler alert, it did not go well. <laughs> yeah. It gets, it gets harder at bigger player counts because of uh, the... You can only do your turn and you have less to time to react, really, as the Kiraken plows through. So the Kiraken is gathering amber. It and its creatures are reaping and gaining amber, getting a bonus amber pips. Uh, and it uses the tide mechanic from Dark Tidings. The tide is either low for everyone or high for everyone. When the tide is low, it's pretty easy for the Kiraken to advance at three amber per player. Uh, and when it's high, it's a bit harder at six amber per player for the key raken to advance. And as soon as the key raken advance advances the fourth time, uh, the key raken has reached the surface and begins to wreak havoc upon the coastal civilizations and uh, the players lose. So the players win by reducing the key raken's health to zero, basically putting by putting damage equal to its power on it. Uh, forging keys does help because the key raken has... Uh, plus two armor for every unforged key that the active player has. So if you get all three keys forged, you're not fighting against any armor. Um, which uh, I think leads me into one of the things, uh, what we can start the topic off with here, Mortivus, is one of the things that when this came out, it was like, okay, you have to fight the key rake and you can't do damage to it with damage cards even. You have to fight with creatures. Um, is that what that did is it's made it super obvious that a deck that's going to be good against the key raken might not be a deck that's good in like archon solo or maybe another mm -hmm. format there are decks that are going to be uniquely good in uh rise of the key raken or that's what we were hoping so what has your experience been with uh playing decks you might not have otherwise uh, against the key raken and experiencing them in a new way. Have have you been able to experience decks in a new way against the key Reagan? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I I I think that there's definitely a component uh, with with the key Reagan where you are uh, you have to kind of re. It's it's a different puzzle uh, with with each sure. of your decks. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and so I I think I will say this kind of at the at the outset here. Uh, I initially thought when I started playing the key rack and that it was like, okay, like you just have to bring something that's got a bunch of brawlers. Uh, you know, so you have to bring something that can do a lot of fighting, can re recur fighting or, um, you know, f find ways to fight into the key rack and to take it down. And uh, to clarify, that is, of course, a very viable strategy yes. <laughs> against the key rack. Yes. Uh, but I think one thing that I have discovered playing more and more decks against the key rack and, um, is uh, in I guess this is more of just kind of one one component that I want to want to call out uh, is basically each of the creatures, uh, which uh, are all arms, by the way, which I love thematically. <laughs> yeah, arms and tentacles. The, they're arms yeah. and tentacles. It's amazing. And it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> um, each of them uh, has a destroyed ability, and the destroyed ability is deal three to, three damage to the Kirak and ignoring the armor. Uh, so I, I I simply bring that out because there are like. There are a fair amount of decks that are very potent out there that maybe don't fight stuff off the board and um, still have removal out of hand. And 
that doesn't mean that you can't still do damage to the Kiraken. Uh, you can do damage by killing these other creatures. So, so yeah. a lot of that, a lot of that board control still is is very effective against it. But, um, yeah, like a, a deck that just, for example, rushes and steals a bunch of Ember, isn't really going to be that that effective uh, against the Kiraken, just because if you can't deal with what the Kiraken is putting out on the board in terms of tentacles and arms and slimy mm-hmm. things or whatever, then <laughs> then you're gonna then you're gonna have a, a rough time. Now, now that said, yes. um. My first go against the Kiraken was uh, I, I had a sneaking suspicion that it was going to be something that you needed to fight a bunch with. So my first go um, was was I think it's actually probably my lowest rated deck by SAS. Um, but was it, was it a, a Mugwump deck? It was a Mugwump deck. Nice. Yeah, it's a Mugwump deck that has um, it has two Gauntlet of Commands and it has two Angers. Um, and then it also has... Uh, <laughs> It also has experimental therapy, which is a Logos oh, upgrade, man. which stuns the creature. But then, once you've unstunned it, well, I mean, it immediately becomes uh, of all houses of all houses, or you could use yeah. it as though it were part of every house. So yeah, uh, the idea with that deck was was to just get the Mugwump out and make it grotesquely large. Sadly, right. in the playthrough, it didn't end up working out that way. But uh, <laughs> but but Mugwump did end up uh, giving the fatal blow to the, the Kirak in, in my first mm, game. That's um, awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so or, I yeah. so that that particular deck like I sort of knew it was happening when I played it and that that deck didn't play any different than how I play it but that deck also doesn't have any ember control or anything like that it's just like <laughs> it's just sanctum bravnar and even I think the logos creatures like all of them are five power or higher right <laughs> titan like mechanics this. and mothers yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah so they're definitely um you know, outside of that one, I've I've taken some decks up against the Kirak and that um, that you'd think would do well, uh, but just can't like can't cut it. You know, it, and yeah. you know there are certainly some situations where you'll get some some draws from the Kirak and or draws from your own deck where where you're kind of like, yeah, this this is like not really working out well for me. There's a couple yeah. key cards, and I don't know if we want to spoil them here for those who haven't played, but there are definitely some key cards um, that. Uh, if if they come out early enough uh, or at an inopportune time can really yes. kind of start to snowball for the Kiraken. Yeah. Um, and and so those are ones you definitely kind of, once you've played multiple times, you, you know to like remember we'll that those for. things exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, that's, that's very true. That's very true. Um, and uh, as uh, the listeners may know, you can change that difficulty right by the number of cards the Kiraken plays at the end of its turn, which that, that's the structure is after each player turn, the Kiraken uh, has its own deck. So the Kiraken tries to advance if it can and then plays one, two or three cards from the top of its deck, uh, depending on kind of what you've set your difficulty at. And then the creatures get played, you know, and they're played and exhausted. And then after those cards get uh, come out, then the key rake and activates and then all of his creatures activate and there is the prey keyword so a creature will reap by default unless it has the prey keyword and then it will fight and the prey keyword gives it a target among the the active players creatures uh and you're right there's a couple of things that if they come out like if you get overwhelmed by creatures and you're not able to deal with those uh those will reap and fight your creatures and you're gonna have a bad time uh, a lot of the artifacts that the key has can be really brutal Mm-hmm. uh really brutal 
Um, so bring bring your clear mind decks that yeah. Coda Rare <laughs> that never got reprinted that unstuns all your creatures. Bring your clear mind decks. It's got a purpose now. Yeah. It's, it's a perfect a example now. of a card that's like, oh wow, it works really well now. <laughs> right. <laughs> like this is a game changer. Yeah. It's like the the, the other the other card that you know, the other instance where you're hoping to have a clear mind is like against phosphorus stars or something. You're like there's not oh, a whole yep. lot of folks out there playing Phosphorus Stars decks, at least that I'm aware of. <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. It's true. Uh, I have one uh, called the Archon's deck uh, that has Rogue Ogre that has two Phosphorus Stars and actually wants to play them as long as at least two or three of the Mars creatures are sticking because it's all mm-hmm. John Smiths and Felix the Disintegrators and, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Euxlix the Zookeeper and and all of those all of those great ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, Kind of mentioning cards that are good against the key rake in here. Um, uh, a question from um, uh, I'm modifying a Sky Jedi question here from one of our, our Patreon subscribers. Um, is he's asking about what what's the card that has the most unexpected benefit versus the key rake in? Because I think we've started to touch on this. And something else I wanted to ask you, Mortivus, about is if you have found cards that cheese the key rake in super hard you're like wow if i play this card the key raken because it's an automatic deck play it's not a person like it has a really tough time with that what are what are some cards that just turn it into easy mode yeah um so i'll 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 start with uh kind of the the, the first question um, yeah. yeah one that i i didn't it didn't really occur to me um and i've actually not played with this particular card it was in that that four person co-op game that ill-advised four person <laughs> co-op game that we played <laughs> but, right. but uh one of them that ended up being really interesting was uh the amber spine mongrel uh so for those who oh, aren't aware it's a yes. it's a untamed creature and has some has some traits and, and whatever but uh the important bit is when your opponent reaps uh you get a number uh, basically, so when any when each time a, one of the the Kirakens creatures reaps, uh, you get an ember. And I think there's maybe something funny if you're playing co-op that that only activates when you're the active player. Um, something funny with the battle line, but uh, regardless, it, certainly in a in a in a solo game against the Kiraken, that can be very good. Um, you know, just being able to passively generate ember while the Kiraken is generating ember. Now, again, <clears throat> ember is not really everything. <laughs> against the Kirakin, right. so it's it's of limited right. effect that's why i bring that one up because it's like it was pretty good but it wasn't like it wasn't just completely cheesing you know game ending sure. or anything like that you yeah. still have to have the support uh to be able to do the damage to kill the creatures to be able to fight into the Kirakin yeah. um within but your those, deck. But- those those key getting keys certainly makes fighting the Kirakin uh an actual choice because starting with six with six armor really kind of turns off most creatures yeah yeah Yeah. exactly exactly oh yeah basically everything but like a gigantic creature or something like that something that's swinging (laughs) real big (laughs) Mm -hmm. um yeah so uh in terms of cheesing the the kirakin um i have definitely done that um i think i tweeted about this uh a couple weeks ago as 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 i played a couple games in in quick succession um and I think game game number two, whatever deck I was playing with, just it did did not go well for me. It was you know it's one of those situations where I think the deck did not work well, um, and that I was playing and the Kirakin was like firing on all cylinders, and so I decided that I really wanted to to bring one. I want to I wanted to bring one to the Kirakin. So I uh, the the first card that I've managed to cheese the Kirakin with uh, was Chronophage. 
Uh, so Chronophage being a, uh, I think it's three power Logos creature in Dark Tidings uh, that effectively turns all artifacts and creatures uh, into, or it gives them the Omega uh, keyword, meaning yeah, that right. the, it ends the current step uh, for, I think, yeah, ends the, ends the current step for the Kyraken. So it just has a way of really shutting the Kyraken down, especially because the Kyraken does have a fairly large number of creatures in the deck. Um, and um, even artifacts as well. Uh, so that one, you know, that that one, that's one that I've been able to cheese it with. Uh, I feel like uh, Barrister Joya is another really solid option, uh, and and kind of similar to uh, Amberspine Mongrel, uh, the can- candle unit. Uh, so uh, Barrister Joya preventing uh, any reaping from happening, uh, but then uh, candle unit when uh, when the Kirakin has a creature that reaps, uh, you draw a card. Um, and I suppose there's probably some, there's, there's a star, star Alliance archive equivalent, uh, that I can't think of, but pretty much anything that, uh, gives you some type of advantage, um, when the Kiraken does something, uh, is, is going to be pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. I have also found, um, and this is maybe not so much a specific creature that Jesus, that Jesus, the Kiraken, but like the Kiraken doesn't, re- isn't aware of the importance of creatures, if you understand right. what I mean. So like, yes. if I throw down a Dusk Witch, the Key Reckon's like, yeah, whatever, it's a one power creature. <laughs> like it just, right, just doesn't right. really care about the- I might not you know, be like, targeting it with a prey keyword. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so that's, um, you can, you can, yeah, you can kind of cheese the Key Reckon with a lot of creatures, you know, whether it be, a, a, you know, Dusk Witch being a great one or Fandangle being another good one. Uh, if you can, if you can kind of line those up just because the Key Reckon doesn't handle with like a a must kill creature very well um now um that that said you know i think uh, there's some amount of the the and this is a, kind of deviating from the question a little bit but uh, i'm just going to get on the soapbox really quick um <laughs> <laughs> it's not really a soapbox but uh the the scenario with the key rack and and uh and other scenarios that exist um are kind of what you make it right you know one of the one of the sure. things that sure. uh, if i'm honest like sort of bugged me a little bit uh, as Kiraken ca- came out was everyone always rushing to like come up with a way to cheese the Kiraken. And I, and I, I get it. It's kind of, <laughs> sure. it's kind of like the deck building thing where you're like, Oh, let's, you know, like, let's figure out the most efficient way to do this. Um, and you know, the Kiraken isn't a creature. So that actually gets, so it gets, uh, kind of frees it from a lot of things. But I, I remember seeing at some point, like someone was mentioning that harvest time just targets a card. I'm like, yeah, well, Sure. Do you, you could, want that, you to could, do that? You, that you could play, play that. You want? <laughs> so yeah, I think that's yeah. It, it kind of goes back to what uh, Richard Garfield was saying, maybe in in tangents that you know, like the the experience really is uh, what you make it. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, I've heard I've heard some folks kind of come up with some slight variations where maybe it's not even the variations; it's still within the rules. Where like uh, if uh, within the scope of the cards and prey keywords and stuff that you're dealing with. If there's a, an option that's worse for you as the player, um, right? Then, then you you should take that. I'm not saying you should, but like they play it in such a way that they will always take the option that is worse for them. And so that's right. kind of a different way, even without increasing or decreasing the cards, um, uh, the amount of cards that the key reckon draws. Uh, you can kind of uh, further adjust the difficulty. Uh, I mean, even up or down, and that that's like obviously very situational, um, but. Um, you know, I 
as recently as yesterday or two days ago when I was playing, there there are some situations where I'm like, oh, well, I have this Niffle Ape on the board or I have this Fandangle. One of them's going to die. <laughs> should i kill the should i kill the niffle or should i kill right. the fandangle so right. uh that's just a you know uh a little bit of wh- what you make it and no no way is wrong i mean you should, should yeah. play however you want that's the beauty of i think yeah. these scenarios too is you just you know you, you can kind of control the experience how you however you want uh, and you should make it uh you know in, in as enjoyable or or challenging I mean, or maybe challenging and enjoyable if those two are synonymous for you. Um, oh, of course. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of people that play Dark Souls. I don't personally get it, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't like being angry when I play something. So right, <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, I I agree that Keyforge Adventures especially is where you just need to know. You just need to know. Okay, what do you want to get out of playing this? Because uh, technically, you are the active player during the Key Raken's turn, so kind of rules is written. Yeah, you can just make of like if there's a choice presented because you're the active player, you make the choice. You can make it better for you if you want. But there's other FFG co-op games like uh, Imperial Assault where they have what's called the Imperial Rule, where if the kind of you know automaton con- you know controlling the uh, the bad guys has or your opponent has two options you pick what's worse for you you know yeah, and you talk yeah. about it and you you go by that so yeah either way to play whatever you want to get out of it is yours to get out of it um i like uh me and uh some friends we low-key streamed this uh, uh a few weeks back but we uh it ended up being cheesing the key raking but we did it for thematic reasons we all brought mm. deacillus decks <laughs> We all brought Deosilix decks. And it turns out when two out of the three of those decks have Prefectus Ludo, and you all can just hold your own Deosilix for the right time when the Key Raken gets a bunch of Amber again, uh, it turns out that having three 20 power creatures and Prefectus Ludo for, you know, it's matching Deosilix out on the board is very powerful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, the yeah. Key Raken. Um, and it was a lot of fun to do because we all just kept throwing out our Deosilix and fighting the key raken with you know uh godzilla basically mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Keyforge mm-hmm. godzilla so that we, we had a ton of fun and that was that was a great example of like our little play group owning our play experience right because mm-hmm. we played it on normal difficulty and we said okay that was actually too easy it was a ton of fun but next time we'd go to like you know hard mode three cards per turn mm-hmm. or if we're still cheesing it hard right let's you know, they don't even have a, a name for four cards per turn, but let's go to four cards per turn. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, just, and just see what happens. <laughs> like, let's turn our power level up using our smarts as players, but then let's just turn the key rake and all the way up and see what mm-hmm. happens. You know, mm-hmm. And that, that's that's how how we enjoy it. Yeah, uh, that's um, I, I actually haven't played with the official uh, like adjustments for for a, adjusting difficulty, yeah. um, but there there are some other, you know, cool uh, cool variants uh, or that people have put out there kind of in the community. Um, you know, obviously cho- oh, choosing yes. the worst option um, in terms of uh, w- what the key Reckon is doing <laughs> with your creatures or whatever, you can do that. Um, one one that I'm actually interested to try um, and uh, yeah, w- one that I'm interested to try is uh, actually just omitting the destroyed ability on all of the creatures um, and seeing how and how that affects you basically have to fight the Kirak in order oh, in order to kill wow. it. Sure. Um, so that uh it also yeah, it's not like 
as, doesn't incentivize you as much to fight the creatures, so it could, could be an interesting problem. Um, but uh, one other kind of uh, thing, and this this is just kind of in my own head at least, as I'm playing some of these decks, um, I'll try. Uh, it's almost like a mini game. Uh, and I think I'll probably talk about this a little bit more in the deck discovery episode uh, that we're going to be doing. Yes, but uh, yes. I absolutely love uh, decks that have like mini games in them. Um, so uh, one I won't be talking about in that episode is uh, I've got a, a Chonkers deck uh, that has like triple rapid evolution. So Chonkers can get absolutely very large. <laughs> uh, and I haven't done this uh-huh. yet, but I, I do intend to like play the mini game of trying to once you know one shot the uh, kiraken with yes. with the chonkers yeah. um but so there, there's kind of that and also uh you know you might have certain lines in some of your decks that are just not feasible to play in a in a real life or again against another player who's actively trying to prevent you from doing that um and i guess in some ways it's like a little bit like cheesing the kiraken but it's just kind of fun to be able to flex uh, or or like even theoretically uh, move something from theory into into practice where you're like okay well like i know this line works and i have one specific one that i'm thinking about that i'll talk about in that uh, yeah when we talk the deck discovery but um <laughs> it's like i had never pulled it off i managed to pull it off against the kirak and uh, but it's just one of those it was cool because i i finally finally had thought about it i had been thinking about it for months i mean not like constantly but like it had something <laughs> but like as i played that deck right? i'd be like i i yeah. know this is possible I just I can't pull it off. I can never pull it off. But uh, it was something I was finally able to pull off with uh, against the Kiraken. Uh, That's awesome. Which you know, it's it's at that point it's not really I'm not necessarily going to win against the Kiraken. It's just more of like I want to right. try and do this really cool <laughs> thing that I know this deck is capable uh-huh. of doing. <laughs> as a uh, yeah, as a Rocket Tesmal aficionado, mm. I I feel you on not being able to pull the thing off ever yeah. in, in real play, uh, but. Yeah, there are there are a couple of those fun edge cases I want to see if they work. Uh, for instance, one I really want to try, similar to your Chonkers quest, mm-hmm. is either the Sting or Heart of the Forest plus Marmo Swarm. Basically, stop your own ability to forge keys uh-huh. and just keep gaining amber so that your Marmo Swarm, which gets plus one power for every amber in your pool, <laughs> just gets absolutely gargantuan. <laughs> Absolutely gargantuan, and then one shot, uh, one shot the uh, the key rake. And I'm sure it's going to be an AOA deck that would do that because you've got the sting, you've got Marmo Swarm, uh, and then Binate Rupture is probably yeah. Uh, yeah. a necessity there. But I love the, uh, see that's a, another great example of like, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you have any particular thoughts on Marmo Swarm, but like <laughs> if I see Marmo Swarm in a deck, I'm like. <laughs> All right, that's a creature. <laughs> that's a creature that might get large and might be able to fight something, right. but otherwise, I, it's no I, I enjoy it. Yeah, I enjoy it because it's not you know when you're about to forge a key, it's big, and so you can do something with it. Um, I've I've had fun. I've had fun with Marmo Swarm, mm-hmm. especially with the wackiness that when it's going up and down in power with every moment. Yeah, of, yeah. of the game, kind of like uh, Lack Gaboon from Dark Tidings. Mm-hmm. It gets mm-hmm. plus one power for every exhausted creature, and mm-hmm. it gains extra abilities if there's three or more exhausted creatures. So that thing is changing power constantly, <laughs> like every step, like its power just fluctuates. I, I will say, I do, I do like with the Marmo Swarm when it just gets like yeeted off the board because you're like, <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm gonna forge a key. This is so exciting, right. and then the Marmo Swarm's like, my people need me, and just like flies <laughs> just off the back board down to two power. <laughs> out of nowhere uh, yeah, yeah. It it's a much more like exciting power. version of it's much more it's a much more exciting version of like when a gub dies 
Oh yeah, because yeah, it has yeah. any damage on it, and then it becomes a flank creature. It's like, oh my, I'm done. I'm just tired. Uh, I've got, I've I'm got a, I think, I think I have two decks that have three gubs, and man, the cascading <laughs> failure of a of a gub dying. <laughs> it's just like you just see it there everywhere, and like so the long gub, gubs. The gub yeah. domino effect. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so uh, another question from uh, Se Steel here, who was our, our co-op game question earlier. Um, the the mighty uh, Keyforge player slash uh, co-host over on Help from Future Self. Uh, so you mentioned you've played, uh, I think you said you've played solo and played up to four players. Uh, how does the game differ at different player counts for you? Uh, well, I think the, um, well, so for those, I guess, just as a reminder for, for those who haven't played before, oh, of course, uh, the, of game, course. the game scales uh Primarily uh, scales with number number of players by the fact that the Kirakin always takes a turn after the active player's turn, well, kind of as the tail end of the active player's turn. So there's still the active player. So that means that as you add more players, uh, the Kirakin isn't simply only taking one turn; it's taking a turn for each player. Um, and uh, as the Kirakin is uh, taking the turn for the uh, after the active player. Um, really, it is only focused on that active player's battle line. Um, so, uh, so basically, uh, yeah. So it, it has a tendency to kind of like each player is playing against the Kirakin uh, in, in some ways. But uh, the main way that it scales is by taking multiple turns, which means that it gets more and more cards out. Um, and uh, it gets more and more difficult as you have more players uh, because you take less and less turns based on you know, like you personally i would personally take a less less number of turns than uh, i would in a solo game uh, so that that is to say uh, if you play one house play all the cards from your hand and in, in that house from that house um the kirakin if it's sufficiently built up on the board can just kill all your stuff that you just played and now you have a handful of maybe two other houses but nothing on the board kind of once again uh so it uh it can be it kind of scales in that way and i think that that's like the the more surprising thing for me or the the thing that i wasn't necessarily expecting is just how hard it can be to establish any type of presence as an individual oh. player oh yes and yeah. and it's interesting too because i i i find um and I, this is not in any way a universal experience this is just something in in my limited experience playing co-op is that it's not uncommon for like one player to have somehow established a board and be being able to do stuff, uh, you know, like reaping or whatever, um, or fighting. Uh, but, uh, then you have like another player who's just like struggling so hard to even keep two creatures on the board or keep really anything on the board. Uh, so, so it's kind of interesting how, how that kind of can work out. Um, and, and the, the reality is that because both players are, uh, taking turns um even with one player who has a strong board and another player who doesn't have a strong board like you're definitely in danger <laughs> definitely in danger right. of of falling very very far behind because uh let's say i'm the player who has a really strong board sure i can do some stuff on my turn but then essentially the kirakin has free reign for um you know really two activations its activation and then uh the activation for the the following player um and uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting because uh, even beyond that, like hand shaping is very very challenging uh, because uh, you you definitely have to make the most of what you have on the board. Uh, in my experience, um, 
in order to just really get any value out of that before it's gone. Um, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's kind of the thing that stands out the most to me uh, is really how kind of the scaling affects the game. And, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, a four, four person game against a key rack in which is not supported by the rules. <laughs> right. <was> very difficult. <laughs> it was very difficult. And I think right, in fact, in that, in, yeah, I think in there, there, yeah, there is that too. You get the downtime. Um, and I, so I think probably the sweet spot for me is like two, uh, but it's nice to be able to play three uh, because, uh, you know, if you got three friends together, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like the thought is if you've got four players, just maybe play two games at Keyforge, you know, two standard games at Keyforge. Uh, but three is kind of an you've you always got that odd person out. Uh, so it's a it's great to be able to support that that uh, that amount. I have no idea if I actually answered the question, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh no, that uh, I think that makes sense. I think uh, the biggest point that uh, I think if, for people to keep in mind is that, yeah, the more the more players, the more turns the key raking has taken before it comes back to you, even though there's one to one on a player to key raking turns. And that means, yeah, your plans, it is tough to get more than like one turn of plans done. Hmm. Uh, it's tough to get more than one turn of plans done. So like you said, if you have something on the board, you better use it now because it will probably be gone by yeah. the next time it comes yeah. around. Or the key rate will have a much tougher board to face mm-hmm. off with. And I think that's, you know, there's there's a different, maybe it's not all that different from playing, depending on the, playing a regular game of Keyforge, depending on your matchup. But there are, there are definitely certain situations where, uh, like, you just have cards you have to hold. Like, if you got, if you got a board oh, wipe, yes. you just, like, you're you're gonna hold that probably for the entire game unless you're you know very very far ahead but i would say especially in a, a cooperative uh, cooperative game where there is that chance for the the kirakin to snowball over the course of your turn before it gets back to your turn uh, it can be super critical to hold on to to some some big i would say creature control being the most important um the uh interestingly enough uh, amber control i found is is a bit more challenging uh, because you might be holding onto that doorstep, but if it just so lines up that the Kirakin is um, has bursted to a bunch of ember onto your opponent's turn, your doorstep and the fact that you've held that doorstep does not <laughs> does not provide any value, uh, and you know the Kirakin will advance before you can get get any value out of it. So that's that's uh, also sort of interesting. I, you know, I think the distinction with something like a like board control. Uh, like a board wipe is even if your opponent is really struggling with the key Rackin's board, it will eventually be your turn again and then you can play it. And it doesn't really matter how much, how much Ember has been generated as opposed to the, the Ember control options. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, and with the, uh, our, our last question here, we, so if you've played, have you played the same deck against the, the key Rakin like multiple times? Uh, I have not. Um, oh, okay, so you, you mix it I, I up. I don't think I have. Yeah, I. So I, I probably should. I probably should, and like <laughs> adjust the difficulty. I should probably right. adjust the difficulty to the deck. Um, but at this point, I have a, a broad enough collection of decks that I'm like more interested in trying. You know, it, it kind of goes back to like the short attention span I was talking about earlier. Like, oh, well, I just played it with that deck, so you know that either went well or poorly. I'll just try something else, you know, try and get a different experience. Um, 
I, I haven't necessarily felt particularly motivated to to take one deck up for multiple reps. Um, and I think maybe part of that is I tend to have like slightly uh, polarized outcomes. So I'll either have a game that like goes re- pretty well for me and like, you know, I, I don't necessarily feel like stepping up the difficulty, although I probably should, you know, that would be a better test of the deck. I guess that that's probably what I should do. Um, now that I'm just talking through this in my head or I guess out loud, but, um, you know, getting, getting another rep in with the same deck, uh, could certainly be an interesting, uh, challenge to it. Um, I don't know if that yeah. made any sense, but no, no, that does. That does. <laughs> uh, cause I have, I have played many games, probably at least four or five with the same one or two decks against the key Raken from my, uh, dark, dark tidings box. I picked up from my FLGS. I've got, uh, the, the, the warden of voracious, the hovercraft and, uh, the hermit of the aluminum room. And so these are two decks that both have double Amber Vac, double light of the archons. Mm. So that, uh, there's usually a Voltron appearing to one or two shot the key Raken at some point. Sometimes it's an ardent hero with all of that on it. Cause there's a legacy mm. ardent hero in there, which is just silly. But, um, I have found, cause this was a question from, uh, Patreon, uh, disciple. Uh, I've found that it's actually pretty consistent across that many plays at least if you can kind of get through your whole whole board like sometimes the key raken is just going to wreck you but i think if you have control enough like creature control that you can keep the key raken at bay until you kind of get your tools out onto the board and you have just enough amber control and creature control to like not let the snowball happen before you really get your engine online um, that's been my experience with those two decks, at least, is that we can pretty consistently at at that average difficulty get a Voltron online, uh, especially if you've got Light of the Archons. Just like if you're if you're, you know, co-op person has a Light of the Archons on one of their creatures already, put your Light of the Archons over there, too, like because you can play your you know, you can play your upgrades over on your, your partner's creatures. So um, that's been my experience is that it's played pretty consistently uh, although I haven't gone multiple times with the uh, triple day Asilis, um Godzilla attack mm-hmm. uh, attack squad, the Godzilla attack squad. But yeah, it's it's interesting. It seems like the 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 type of deck that is going to provide consistency against the Kiraken is not necessarily the type of deck that would provide uh, like a consistent winning uh, experience against. Uh, like a just uh, in a standard dual match. Oh, hundred um, yeah. percent. And I think it's it's as you mentioned, it's very much around creature control um, because the most inconsistent part, uh, the 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 times where I find that I'm getting blown up by the Kiraken is because I have not been able to manage the board properly. Um, and so I think, at least in my experience, having having a deck that has sufficient amount of creature control. Um, and again, not, not to deal with the key rack in itself, but to deal with the, the arms, <laughs> those arms. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> I, I think that the, the, yeah, that's, that's kind of, so like maybe a high, higher level of consistency against the key rack and would, would, uh, be expected from a deck that can, uh, more adequately, uh, and consistently deal with, uh, a board presence. Um, as, as opposed to maybe more, uh, maybe, you know, in a more conventional game. 
you would have to spend more time focusing on ember control or, or, you know, as, as you said, the triple ducillus, like that's, yeah, that's, that's the best of both worlds, right? You get some, get some creature control, you get uh-huh. some <laughs> swing in for 20. Well, Mortivus, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been awesome talking about uh, the first Keyforge adventure, Rise of the Key Raken with you, which I know we've both enjoyed immensely. So FFG, uh, yeah, we would like more, please. Please, like, please more. We, we would like you to print them so we can pay you and our local game store for them instead of FedEx print and copy, which the people there are lovely. Don't get me wrong. I'll gladly go see them again. However... I want my FLGS and you and you to have to have the, the currency for that. Uh, so Mortivus, where where we mentioned you stream, uh, where should people uh, go look to to find you? Uh, well, I try to keep it easy. Um, the the benefit of creating your own username uh, is that no one else uses it. So uh, Mor- Mortivus on uh, Twitch, on Twitter. Um, I guess it's not technically more of us on Discord because that's funny like that. But um, yeah, pretty much wherever you can find me, it's more of us, M-O-R-T-I-V-A-S. Um, and uh, not streaming quite as much uh, as as I did uh, in another life. Uh, I had recently had a second child. So uh, kind of slowing down on some of the content. Hopefully I'd be picking some of that stuff back up later this year. I guess also YouTube I am on there. Um, I did want to mention really quick, uh, unrelated to where I'm at, um, but if uh, you enjoy Rise of the Key Racken uh, or the, that type of solo slash cooperative experience, um, certainly check out the Abyssal Conspiracy, which is uh, the second uh, print and pre- print and play uh, release from um, in the Keyforge Adventures official uh, series, uh, and uh, that provides a much different experience, much different ex- uh, play experience. So definitely recommend playing that out. Uh, as well as um, there are at least uh, two uh, that I'm aware of, actually three that I'm aware of, but two done in English. Uh, community-built adventures. Uh, one is called Arc Envy uh, that is uh, put on or was put together by Ostrom Taleka. Uh, and then uh, Mason Alito uh, put out the uh, Flight of the Royal Fortune. And so there is a, uh, there's a, uh, not sure where the exact best place to check those out is, but I think there's links to them all in the Keyforge Adventures subreddit. Um, or if you feel free to bug me on Twitter uh, or on, on Discord or, or wherever, um, I'm happy to point you in the direction of resources to print uh, those those options and those are those are also very different uh, play experiences um i will say the uh the arc envy is kind of kind of unique in that you actually in cooperative play with a shared battle line uh so ah. you can then activate creatures uh you can actually call houses of your opponent's deck or your, i'm sorry your uh, your teammate's deck uh, so kind of a different experience there but uh, again both of them very well done uh, and very different experiences yeah yeah, that's awesome. Check those out. Uh, I will see what links we can dig up for the show notes uh, to give people easy access to go check those out because uh, they are very cool and both both still very distinct from the kind of play that we see in both released adventures, which I think mm-hmm. is just mm-hmm. really impressive, uh, really impressive thing to see from the community. Agreed. So, dear listener, if you're enjoying Call of Discovery, make sure you're subscribed on your podcast app of choice. And if you're new to Keyforge, make sure you're visiting that new player guide on Archon Arcana, the Keyforge wiki. We've got that linked below. And get started on your own unique and wonderful journey into this game. 
If you're looking to support Call of Discovery monetarily, you can visit our Patreon, uh, which we've linked below, where you can sign up to support us monthly and get to enjoy rewards like our exclusive Discord, where we get many topics and questions for the show like we did today. And you get to hear our little behind the scenes show, Beyond Discovery, episode one, out now. Let us know what you'd like to see more or less of in future shows by interacting with us across social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or send me an email at podcast at callofdiscovery.com. But most importantly, if you think a friend would enjoy this particular little podcast, please help them to discover it. Have you answered the call of discovery? 